Wellness Force Radio. Feelings are essential, but they can't dictate our actions. We literally infect each other with our emotions. We came here for a special purpose. Let the purpose unveil itself. Knowing without doing is the same thing as not knowing. They're not just trackers. I'm going to wear this and it's going to help me do the right thing. Wellness Force Radio episode 136 with Corey Allen. The walls of the movie set just fainted and everything shifted. And what had happened is I woke up to my subjective perception. So not only did I just intellectually understand that what I was perceiving was a reading of the events outside of my skin, but I actually began to experience it and really feel and understand how everything that I was observing was just my impression of the world as opposed to what was. What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent, and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. In this episode, we're talking with my new friend from Austin, Texas, Corey Allen, the host of the Astral Hustle podcast, as well as many other things. You're going to learn so much about this dynamic soul and how his studies in consciousness and exploring the realms of why we do what we do and who we are in this planet, in this spinning rock, in the middle of outer space directly affects your emotional and physical intelligence and how that relates ultimately to your wellness and living your life well. He's a meditation teacher. He leads a community on Facebook in spirituality and consciousness. He's an incredible clothing creator. This guy, I actually came across the radar for him in conversation with Aubrey Marcus when I was in Los Angeles doing the in-person with Aubrey Marcus where we talked about owning the day and Corey's video came up, his incredibly powerful Facebook video called The Mind is a Meat Radio. Why we are this spirit having a human experience in what Corey calls the brain as a meat radio, (laughs) which I know you love that analogy because if you listen to Wellness Force this far, we explore so much depth around emotional intelligence, how that relates to our physical intelligence. Well, on this podcast, we have spared no depth because with Corey, we're going four fathoms deep on how to reduce personal suffering today by increasing self-awareness. We explore and understand what it means to be human in this modern crazy world, how to let go of the programming that is literally punched into the keypad that controls our brain that is creating and driving these continuous, incessant, limiting beliefs. We'll explore how we can wake up right now how we can go through experiential learnings, whether it be plants, whether it be experiential weekends, whether it be breathing, holotropics. This is an episode. If you have had incessant voices or the band that's playing the wrong tune in your brain and you can't turn the volume down, this is going to be a powerful conversation because we go into how life experience and our past literally creates our consciousness in the moment, how we perceive life. We also talk about Corey's fascination and studying consciousness to what makes up our reality and our awareness, how we can develop our own intuitive awareness and allow it to guide us on the path. And really, we talk about experiences, what we believe to be true and how subjective that is, what we think is real and what's really real. The beliefs we formed over our lifetime, they just might be inaccurate. And if we can let go of the old programming and those belief systems that don't serve us, we're tapping into a powerful edge of the intuitive sword that allows us to cut through all the bullshit in our life and step into the person and our health habits that we know we're deserving of. So now let's drop in for this conversation with my new friend, Corey Allen, where we explore the practical and the pragmatic steps on how to reverse engineer the soul, because we know the soul knows its way. It's up to us to just take a step out of the way. Let's drop in. Today, I am super stoked 
to bring on Corey Allen, a meditation teacher, composer, master engineer, and podcast host from Austin, Texas, who I came across his work after watching a video called The Mind is a Meat Radio. And we're exploring today this intersection of physical and emotional intelligence with a brilliant mind that I've come to really respect, a podcast host in the industry that's up-leveling the human condition. Corey, thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, man. Thank you very much. It's, It's my pleasure. This art of reducing, these reducing down big deals, big things in our lives into these smaller, actionable nuggets, trustable parts. We're going to dive so deep into that. But I want to know, man, people that haven't heard of you, who is Corey Allen? What's he all about? My main goal, speaking of reducing large ideas and small things, is just to reduce suffering and increase self-awareness. I can't think of a more powerful sentence. I mean, if you tell somebody that in an elevator, they probably look at you with bigger eyes. That only got to the answer from people asking me that question so much is it used to be, you know, five, 10 sentences and then it became five sentences and then two sentences and then it became about 10 words. We're always starting with more than we need and then we're sanding away all that doesn't serve. In my journey, I've done so much discovery and what I found, Corey, maybe you can attest to this, is the further I go into the depths of exploring who I actually am, what I'm all about, the more I let go of. It's almost Mm -hmm. like we're born with everything that we need and then the windows of our soul get dirty and sooty and filled up with memories that don't serve. And then we spend our adult life letting go of all these things. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just hard to be human, man. It's not, you know, we all go through these, a bunch of positive and negative experiences, which impact our minds and they, you know, color how we see the world. And as I, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm working on a book right now. And one of the things that I mentioned there is like one of the human superpowers is being able to hear one negative criticism amongst a thousand uh, compliments. Yeah. And those things stick with people and they, you know, carry them throughout their life. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a challenge. And unfortunately in our culture, there is not a lot of venues or it's not built in to, to teach us how to think about those things and, uh, and how to address those things in ourselves. And it's such a huge part of the human experience. And so there's this giant part of, of life that we just, none of us know anything about and have to kind of autodidactically learn. And a lot of that comes with age. You know, as you get older, you're sort of forced to confront and figure out these things because you're put in positions which make you do so. I just feel like this journey that we're all on, some people have things that happen for them or to them, depending on how their mindset is, right? This mindset mm-hmm. training piece we talk about in the show a lot, Corey, and we're going to get into that, but I want to expose the astral hustle. I get it. I understand what it's all about. Can you share with the audience though, that hasn't heard of the astral hustle, man? What is this podcast all about? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's all about just the sound of my voice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's all about just figuring out, you know, the human condition, exploring it, trying to understand, you know, what it means to be human, not in necessarily a uh, speculative sense all the time, but mainly just like, what are these things that we all experience? All oftentimes are not addressed. How can we reflect and understand them more? How can we understand ourselves more, you know, trust ourselves, embrace ourselves and become the people that we want to be, you know, dropping the anvils that we're carrying of past experiences, which know, don't apply to us anymore. It's this, you know, we're all wrapped in this inherited programming, you know, all of these things from our, our family that we picked up, they've told us, you know, how our life should be before we've even had a chance to figure out you know, who we are. Yeah. And so everyone goes through life fighting against this, this whole structure that was set up for them. And, uh, you know, a, a big part of what I try and do on the podcast is like, and this is, you know, a lot of it's indirectly, but just through what I'm doing is trying to get people to wake up to, like who they are today and figure out who they want to be 
believe, trust in themselves, and then do it. Mm. One of my core lessons in this planet in this meat suit <laughs> is to be a trusting person. I mean, that's kind of what came up for me in many emotional intelligence trainings. You know how I found you this meat radio video. You talk about the mind working in the nervous system. It's scanning outside of our body. And that's what we deem as consciousness. But that's not actually the case. Can you tell us like, how did this video come through you? We'll link this in our show notes, this meat radio. I freaking love this metaphor. <laughs> Well, it's it's basically a, a way, like an entertaining way I found to describe subjective perception. And that's something that to me was one of the most critical breakthroughs I had in my own self-development. And the words which you have to use in a lot of cases to describe that are so clinical in a lot of the ways that people just sort of become numb to them and don't really hear what you're saying. So I tried to figure out a way to describe it that was a bit more entertaining and painted a picture that was easier to understand. Uh, essentially, you know, what I'm doing in that video, what I'm explaining and, and getting to is that like, you know, the way that we experience our world, we have this, this idea, you know, oftentimes unquestioned that what we experience is truth and, and is reality. Um, but really what each human experiences is an impression of objectivity. It's, it's what's out there. So, you know, the world that exists outside of our skin is a, you know, objective world, which we cannot get to because, you know, we are perceiving the world outside of our skin, you know, of course, with our senses uh, in our nervous system, it's scanning, drawing in all this information from there. And then as it, you know, create, you know, it's all fed to your brain, it goes to the filter of your personality. So that's when that information first is only relative to your nervous system. You know, we all perceive slightly different things. You know, we all have different eyes, and, you know, different ears, different, you know, noses and, and our, our emotional aspects are all different. And so now this gets passed through the lens of your own personal identity. And that is created a symbolic filter system based upon your social programming, just how things have intersected with you in your life, you know, all yeah. of your life experience, and then, you know, your family programming and all of that. So, that's what creates our consciousness, you know, in a sense, and really our perspective. So I'm showing how, you know, what we see is not truth. It's an impression of what's out there, but there's so much more uh, to it than just that. And I think connecting the dots on this too, there's genetics that are involved, epigenetics we've talked about before and understanding that our worldview and how we show up on this planet is a combination of so many things, Corey. And all these things that happen for us, if we choose to look at and really take what I call a deeper emotional inventory of what's happened, we can have any power to change. I mean, we can do anything that we really desire to do in this life. I'm curious if you had a moment in your experience here on the planet, this uh, spinning rock in the middle of outer space. <laughs> mm -hmm. Have you gone through any thresholds that you feel might be of service to the audience to share? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the big one was waking up to what I was just talking about. You know, um, again, you know, I, I was just writing about this in, in my book and kind of reflecting on uh, what that that whole experience entailed. But basically, as a you know, in my late teens, I was reading a lot of philosophy and things like that, and I came across this phrase by a uh, you know uh, all around genius named Buckminster Fuller someone else popularized that term that he used, non-simultaneous interactive apprehended processing, right? So Easy to say. Yeah, easy to say. You got a nice ring Super to it. Simple, yeah. It's going to be like a hook in a song soon. Anyway, so Robert Anton Wilson, you know, took that term, put some context on it, popularized it. So he was actually a teacher of mine in my early 20s. And 
that term really like stuck in my mind and I was just chewing on it all the time. And, and, uh, this part of my book is called the unbearable lightness of peeing because I go, I was in a bookstore and I go into the, the bathroom to pee and I'm just kind of thinking of that term, just kind of the music of the words, trying to understand it. And as I started to pee, like the, you know, the walls of the movie set just fainted and everything shifted. And what had happened is I woke up to my subjective perception. So not only did I just intellectually understand that what I was perceiving was a reading of the events outside of my skin, but I actually began to experience it and really feel and understand how everything that I was observing was just my impression of the world as opposed to what was. And that, you know, may sound kind of far out in a, in a philosophical way, or it may sound clinical or something, but the real practical application to understanding that is that whenever you realize that, like, let's look at like the most basic example that, you know, simplified example. So if someone brings you a salad, you know, you're at lunch and uh, you lift up the, the leaf on there with your fork and there's like a bug under your salad, you know, under that leaf, like that bug existed before you lifted the leaf up. You just didn't perceive it and know that it was out there in the world because you hadn't taken a reading of it yet. You hadn't observed it. So your yeah. whole you know, nervous system, which is abstracting this image of the world, it just hadn't been charted on your blueprint yet. So that's an easy example, uh, a simple example of what I'm talking about. But whenever you begin to understand that, like things of you know, disagreements, anxieties, um, all these different things melt away because you realize, you know, maybe I don't have the full story here. Maybe what... I'm assuming is happening in the world is not actually what's happening. Maybe there's a lot more to it. It leaves you open, it leaves you flexible, and allows you to take things in a lot more patient and uh, you know larger-minded way of, of thinking outside of yourself. What were you going through at that time that you think made you open to even experience that? You know, I started getting into you know Western Eastern philosophy whenever I was in my mid-teen years. Really, you know, the the genesis of it all was. I overheard someone one day say if they could have dinner with anyone, two people that are alive, that it would be Jesus and Nietzsche, which, you know, mm. that's a pretty interesting combo you know, thinking about it now. But would Alan Watts be in your top 10? For me? Oh, uh, yeah, probably. Okay, yeah, he seems too. like he, he knows yeah. how to have a good time. But uh, <laughs> I overheard this person say that, right? And so I was feeling sort of, as most teens do, just sort of out of place and just out of sync with the rest of the world in a lot of ways and always seeking you know, new different things, how to understand myself and understand life and all that. So I was walking through a bookstore. I saw a Nishi book just sitting there on the bookshelf. I went over and picked it up. And whenever I started reading it, just everything you know blew my mind because I thought, oh, wow, this is like how I think. It's like not what I think, but it's the structure, the way that my mind works. And I really recognized that about my myself in that point. And so I, that made me get really interested in philosophy because I thought, oh, this is just sort of how my, my mind naturally works. Yeah. As I like blew through a lot of philosophy, I have a very, I, some might call it, you know, obsessive personality, like well, especially if I was younger, but I get like way into things. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You're deep guy. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, and I, I deep dive on things I get interested in. So, you know, after I digest a lot of the philosophy, I went and started investigating Eastern philosophy just because I guess it's on the next bookshelf over or whatever. And so I was like, all right, West, and now I'll go look at East. And so whenever I started reading that, I thought, oh, wow, okay, this is not only um, how I think, but it's what I think. You know, it's like where my, my heart and my emotional intelligence 
is led towards thinking those levels of compassion and acceptance and, and kind of a universal idea of, of humanity. So that got me into those things. And, and of course, within the reading of Western philosophy, I was also, I get really interested in consciousness because I thought, you know, well, philosophy is interesting. I, I was finding psychology very interesting. Uh, neurology, all these things. I was it's just reading stuff, all these man. books about. Yeah, it really is, and I realized that okay, it's actually the total picture of all this that I'm interested in. It's the, it's these pieces, and I realized, oh, it's the thing that's broadcasting my reality is what I'm interested in. So that's my consciousness. So then I got really into consciousness. So that led me to this term and chewing on this idea of understanding, like where is the edge of my awareness. And what does, you know, what does my consciousness even mean? How can I understand it more? And so that experience was one of those things that it, that's what led me to that experience. And it's how I inevitably had that realization. Well, it makes sense that you take big things and break them down into small pieces because that's what happens when you go deep, right? I mean, you start understanding things at their basic level. And there's actually a quote that I was researching for today's show. It's from Einstein. Everything should be made as simple as possible, mm -hmm. but not simpler. Yeah. Let's dive into this subject, man, because I think people understand why you do what you do, but let's understand how to actually begin to do this reduction and let go of the stuff that doesn't serve us. That's something that I think comes with experience, for sure. There's a lot of interesting like thought math things you can do. You know, One of those things, let's say that you become interested in a new topic or something like that. Um, say you get into meditation, let's call it that, and you go, you read some different stuff online. You maybe watch a couple of videos, try and get some idea. And then you've got like 10 things that you've seen about meditation that you're trying, all right, I'm going to try and keep all those in mind. It's like, well, meditation is such a, it can be a complex, deep and broad and really bottomless type of thing to learn about if you're trying to go for all the nuances and all these different aspects. Of course, because we're dealing with the, the intangible internal mind with this and that is in itself bottomless. Yeah. So, you know, people often will get, a, a bit of paralysis whenever they're looking at something like that, you know, because it's so, so bottomless. So let's look at meditation. You say you've got these 10 things that, that you want to learn about. So take that list of 10 and then just take off the least interesting five or the five that you don't think really are as relevant to what you're doing or what your goal is. Let me interrupt you on that, man. Cause Please. how do you, how do you determine the five? I mean, that's a big question, right? If you have 10 <laughs> yeah. things that you want to knock out, how do you kind of emotionally decide or intuitively sharpen that edge of decision-making power and say, ah, these five don't work. We know in a part of the process of that with, with anything, how do you said sharpen the sword? I think, how do you do that? Well, you start with a lump of metal, you know, and it's not going to be a sword in five minutes, but with enough pounding and folding and sharpening, eventually it will be a sword. So you have to start somewhere. So, you know, trusting and learning about yourself and your intuition and how to listen to it and let it guide you, you've got to start where you're at. You know, there's no shortcut to having incredible in intuition. That's like saying, well, I'm going to learn about astrophysics. Well, today I'm interested in it now. And so tomorrow I'm going to be, you know, have a PhD. It's like, no, yeah. you got, there's steps you must take. It's a learning. And that, you know, in that process, that's where the real learning happens, of course. Man, that applies to everything. Letting go of old yes. weight, you know, forming yes. loving, trusting relationships. I mean, Rome was not built in a day. Exactly. So, you know, with this, you know, whenever you're trying to understand your intuition, then yeah, you, you, you might mess up. You, you might pick the wrong thing, but you want to listen to your uh, intuitive mind as much as you can yeah. with these things and then learn from it if you happen to, to mischoose. Like, uh, you know, this one of the things that I uh, tend to talk about a lot is like the, what I call the, the drive ego and the, and the heart ego. 
So this is like the drive ego, and I'll get back to the list in a second, but this applies. It's like the, the drive ego is the part of your brain, your mind that is always urging you to accomplish, to get up, you know, to get out, to go find a mate, to find food, to have a job, all that stuff. And that's a great necessary part of the ego, you know, one that needs to be mastered and have an awareness built around it. But what we do often is like, that's all just a functional, technical part of our brain. That's ration, you know, logic, reason, all these things, which are very necessary and valuable. You know, the heart ego is that place of intuition. It's what we feel and not feel in a sense of like self-delusion, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to move to, you know, New York because it feels right. It's like, no, well, okay. I mean, that's, you know, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking yeah. about the arising of your thought in a situation or whenever you're, you know, going to, to, put a thought into action or something like that, that intuitive vibe of like, okay, what am I telling myself about this? Because, you know, our emotion, our feeling, it's just another primal sensing system. It's giving us a message about our emotions, you know, where we're at and how we feel about what we're doing. So what most people do is, is whenever they feel, you know, uh, an initial response to something or a feeling about something they want to put into action in life, they typically take that put it into the funhouse mirror of the drive ego mind because that's one of your logic and your reason starts to really warp and shape that because you know in that same part of the the you know the drive ego where the all of your logic and reason are it's a valuable place it helps you you know uh, drive a car or cook dinner or something like that or plan a meeting but it also houses your anxiety your mm. self-limiting thoughts your ability to project you know the the future which, you know, creates more anxiety and fear and, and worry, you know, all that's in that part of the mind. So whenever we have this, this initial feeling that comes up, people usually just throw it right into that, that drive ego part of the mind. And because it feels safe, because we trust the, the intellectual, you know, the hard intellectual part of our mind, because it is proven to make rational decisions and, lo- and what we feel is our, our best logical choices. So we trust that because it feels safe. But really, you know, what happens is that, that that's where our our true intuition, which is really who we are. You know, we are not the computing aspect of our mind as much as we are our intuition and our intention. So whenever we take those things and put them into that out of kind of fear or safety, our true self becomes modulated into something different because we think, well, people will, I feel this way, but if I kind of change this a little bit, then people might like me more. People might accept me more. This might be a yeah. safer way to do this. Oh my gosh, you know? man. This brings up something for me that totally relates to the initial question of how do we decide to get rid of the mm-hmm. five that don't serve us and, and boil it down to the other five. I think about this term that gets thrown around, Corey, trust your gut. People mm-hmm. say this, trust <laughs> your gut. Make sure that when you make decisions about love and work and life, just trust your gut. Well, you know what? We know that through trauma and through certain things that happen, people can become what a lot of spiritual leaders are calling right now is conditioned bundles of reactive nerves. Mm -hmm. And so in that same category, how do we know if our quote gut feeling is truly leading us towards that sharpening of the intuitive sword, or if it's something that our authentic self truly desires? I mean, that's a massive question. Yeah. I mean, it's, you can just, you track that back, you know, spend some time, be patient with yourself. And whenever you're starting to feel this, as you said, like a gut feeling or something like that, yeah, self-assessment is a huge aspect of making sure that your intention is true. But, you know, what I'll, what I'll tell people is like, all right, look at that intention and that gut feeling and just start moving backwards with it a little bit. Think about the resolution of it. 
Like, what is this thing telling you to do? Like, what's your projected outcome, you know, in some way? What will this cause? And step back and say, okay, what's my strategy of how I'm going to get to that outcome? And then take another step back and say, well, how do I fit into that? And then take another step back and say, will any parts of this create suffering for myself or people around me? Yes. And a huge, the most, you know, if you don't have uh, a bond with yourself, you know, a pact with yourself to be honest and, you know, uh, keep your integrity, then you'll never make any advancements in your self-development. You'll, you'll be delusional. Um, but if you can really, you know, you can do it right now. That's all you got to do. That's one of the hugest problems that people have with self-development is just choosing, just making a decision. Yep. You could right now go, you know what, from this day forward, like I'm going to be honest with myself and it's not always going to feel good. But think of it like being in the gym. Like you don't get rippling pectoral muscles, you know, without going through some pain. You don't, you know, you can't do yeah. an hour of cardio without sweating and without suffering in the moment of that, that cardio. It takes work to get the results. This is the same thing with self-development, you know, like it might, you know, if you're going to be honest with yourself and acknowledge truth, you know, really what you're feeling, um, it's not always going to be pretty, but what will happen is that you'll have beautiful emotional pectorals <laughs> after you <laughs> after you deal with it because you're yeah. you're actually dealing with something that, that need to be dealt with. Oh, this is powerful, man. We had one of my favorite meditation teachers on the show, and we're going to talk about your course too. But she actually studied with John Cabot Zen, and she talked about this muscle of the mind, the ability for us to flex that muscle of the mind by sitting still. And, and the way that we talk about cutting the five things that don't serve us from the list of 10, sitting in the silence to make that decision, to be in the silence or the darkness even, and sharpen that intuitive sword, that's not linear to understand how that really applies to each unique individual. Let's go back to that list, man. The 10 to the five, reducing these huge concepts in our life. Sometimes they relate to love. Um, yeah. We could do a whole show on that. <laughs> sure, but, sure. But out of those 10, bringing it down to the five, let's go there again, because I think this is something that a lot of people deal with, overwhelm. How do I make Definitely. the right decisions? How do I have this big list and break it down to the things that um, I can understand and I can execute on? Yeah, it, it's just a great way to help you focus, you know, and, and really hone in because with the overwhelm, as you mentioned, like in life, obviously, the amount of social media and news and internet, you know, just the way the internet hitting our nervous system, it's uh, we're not built for that. We're built to be like walking through the forest looking for a pig or some berries or something. We're yes. not built to have, you know, 40,000 ads a day hitting us in the back of the brain. <laughs> and so it is very overwhelming. And it literally leaves you like, if you think about your neural pathways, like uh, roadways or something, all of the data that's coming into our minds is it's like a traffic jam. And then those roads get used so much that the roads start to fall apart and the bridges fall apart. So our nervous system is literally fried, you know? So just paring things down to where you can actually do something is huge. And I think that's one of the things that keeps a lot of people from, you know, having the success, whether it be professionally or personally or whatever that they want to have is, is not being able to just choose something and actually focus in on that. So, yeah. you know, this list of like taking 10, breaking it down to five. Okay. Well, five is still a lot, you know, five is still a lot. So take that five, then now break that down to your top three. So choose your, now we're not removing, we're choosing your top three. You know, it's a reverse in psychology. So we go from 10 to five. That's like, well, let's remove five. And that's a little hard, but now with the five, let's choose our favorite three. And now we've got our favorite three, but now pick your favorite one. Mm. So what's the one thing out of that list that seems like it makes the most sense and that just 
calls to you? What, what seems the most vital, the most you know, relative and, and, and pertinent thing amongst those three? And then just focus on that. Just focus on that and just do that thing. You know, do that. And then once you feel comfortable with that thing, you can go back to that list of those other two, pick the next one off that list and start doing that. But now you've got that other one in your back pocket and then move on to the third and so on and so on. And before you know it, you know, you've allowed yourself the space to really sit with one of those ideas and actually learn it and hone in on it. And then you can continue to expand and grow from there. Yes. 10, 5, 3, 1. Just if you're a numbers person, but what I'm feeling, cause I'm more of like the emotional person. I feel like you're just applying a template of your truth. You're just mm-hmm. like, okay, I have these 10 things, which one, if I had to pick one, I had to break it down. 10, 5, 3, 1, which one really hits my heart and my soul. It's like reverse engineering of the soul. You're trying to figure exactly. out, you know, <laughs> what is this actually mean to my life and why? Yeah. So this muffling of that truth, a lot of people, you know, they're not used to sharpening the intuition because Gayden Katie Hendricks talk about weapons of mass distraction where we're constantly right. assaulted with just technology and messaging and Anyways, it makes me want to take a deep breath. So how would you (laughs) define the solution for this? We understand now how to conceptualize reducing the big list based on the truth or the numbers, but, but then how do we put this into practice in this age of mass distraction? You know, recognizing it. And if, and if someone is even still listening to this, they've, they've done that. That's the hardest step. Yeah. If you're with us, then you're with us for the whole interview now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you you recognize it. That's the hardest step. It's sort of like, and if someone has suffered some type of trauma, you know, they, the, the, all the work after they finally bring it up and talk to someone about it is easy work. Actually saying it for the first time, that's the hard part. And so, you know, and of course I'm generalizing, but I'm just mean like that first, taking that first step is hard. So, you know, if you're recognizing that you have too much input, that's fantastic. And then from there, it's one of those things of just committing to doing it and just making that time. Yeah. And it's not even really about discipline. It's about, you can just say like, like one of the things I do is I just will like take my phone at nighttime. Like I'll, you know, if I eat dinner or something, I get home, I'll just go put my phone in the bedroom. Go, you know, if I'm in the living room, read a book or do whatever I'm doing or something like that, just go put it in the other room. You know, little things like that are easy or block off just a little bit of time where you can say from today, from noon until 2 p.m., no social media, just close the browsers, get on with something else, focus on something else and work on that. Just start like literally limiting yourself, your access. You know, if you, if you make it further away from your physical body, or if you just remove those things from your computer or your phone desktop, like not deleting them, but just like close those browsers. That's what I do a lot of times. If I'm working on something intensely, I just close the, you know, that Facebook browser that, you know, whatever the social media is, I'll log out of my email. So I don't glance up and see if there's another, if that number is increasing at all, like, you know, oh, is there more emails? Okay. I better click over and see like that. Because whenever we, we click over for even for a minute, you know, it's very disorienting. It takes us a little bit to get reengaged and back in the flow. I've heard seven minutes from executives where there was a study in Silicon Valley. If they're interrupted, it takes them seven, sometimes 10 minutes to go back and be fully present with their previous task. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I I think just creating that space, you know, if you think about back to someone of like, think about someone like Picasso, think of his workflow. Like whenever he went to go paint, he was definitely not like, all right, I've got this canvas. I've got all this paint. I'm going to start painting for 15 seconds, but then I'm going to put the brush down and I'm going to go make a cup of coffee. Okay, now I'm back. 
All right, now I'm going to paint. Oh, I better read the newspaper for a few minutes. <laughs> it's like there's a reason like he's just there in that time yeah. doing his thing. And you, if you can just take that first step, this is really you know another really useful, powerful tool um, in whatever you're trying to be successful at, if it's work or even in the self-development, if you're trying to sit down and do meditation. You know, people ask me, like, what's your ritual for writing? What's your ritual for getting ready for your meditation? I say, well, my ritual to prepare for writing is pulling the chair out and sitting down and just doing it. You know, yep. my ritual for meditation is walking into my studio, pulling my cushion out and then sitting down on it. You know, it's like just we are so like often so frazzled by the potential of choices we can make in life in in even the nuances of, you know, if you're home and you have nothing really to do. You're still looking at your phone. You're wandering, you know, in this room. You're maybe pulling up Netflix. You're doing this. You're doing this. It's like just stop and make one decision, you know. And you take that first step, and then before you know it, you look up and an hour's gone by. You know, it's like if you pick up yeah. a book, you're like, oh, I've been wanting to read that book for months. Well, have you actually picked it up? <laughs> you know, <laughs> just pick it up and and get in there. And then before you know it, you know, you've been reading for an hour. And I love where we're going because we had Dan Party on the show, one of my favorite guys at this intersection of fundamental physiological health in the ancestral movement. I know that's really big in Austin where you live, but also he understands how technology can uplevel the human, how it can be kind of a mirror of mindfulness for this human experience. And you actually had Dr. Judson Brewer on your show. You talked about in London, people mm. are wrapping light poles with padding so that <laughs> they won't injure themselves. I mean, we're on our phones all the time. Technology, yeah. it can be so addictive because it taps into our primal selves. It gives us these little squirts of you know, serotonin and dopamine. And I just know that the opposite of addiction is human connection. I mean, mm -hmm. we're really just looking for connection, aren't we? Sure. And I'm curious if you've ever done a challenge with your community, because if not, we're going to do it right now on Wellness Force to do a technology fast for one week when people get off work to not check your phone until the next morning. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that, Corey, but I think we get to do it right now, if not. Yeah, I think that's a great idea to try it. Yeah. All right. We're going to link that in the show notes. You guys do it with me. We will do it when this show comes out. But I want to talk more about this addiction piece. You know, tobacco was in court. Uh, food hasn't been in court yet, really, about its addictive mm -hmm. properties. Technology is probably 20 years away from being in court, in my opinion. What do you think we can do, though, to get this message out there and get people more aware of, hey, listen, tobacco, food, technology, they all operate and they all affect us in a very similar way from a neurochemical standpoint. I mean, besides mm -hmm. your podcast, what do you think needs to happen for us to connect the dots on this awareness? Well, I think people need to get a taste of how it feels to to not have it and how their brain will change. I, you know, In my opinion, I think it's not about removing it. It's just about managing it and, and being, again, being honest with yourself about how you manage it. Like a, a glass of wine enhances the meal, but a bottle of wine is going to leave you probably with a <laughs> headache the next day. Yeah. And so, so I think technology is like that. That's how I look at it. It's like we wouldn't be able to do this podcast right now without technology. Yeah. But if we were on this for eight hours, then both of us are going to be feeling fatigued and, and bored or whatever else, you know? Uh, use the wine example, you know, the sobriety from technology, there's a clarity that comes along with it. Just mm -hmm. like if you're, you know, you're hitting the alcohol really hard. And then once you finally start to back off, you can, oh, my train of thought is clearer. You know, my mind is fresher. I have more energy, all those type of things. You know, technology is really the same way is because we're, we're hit with so many little fractions and so many tiny pieces of things. And that's creating these synapses in our brain. You know, our brain, creates new synapses after 21 days. And so whenever you're 
in that that mode of thinking of like I'm going to look at this tweet for three seconds and this mm-hmm. tweet for three seconds and this tweet for that's creating the pathways in your brain to observe and discard observe and discard observe so then whenever you try and deal with something in life that actually needs deep attention then it's really hard because your brain is literally wired to think in three second bursts <laughs> and so if you can remove that you know and give yourself some time each day even an hour you know even and that's one of the things like People beat themselves up. That, that was one of the big things I learned, you know, when I started my meditation course was people really give themselves a hard time whenever they can't stick to certain things. But there's no reason to, you know, there's no, we're all, you know, everyone's just trying to do their best. Yeah. And I think the thing that reinforces a discipline, you know, a, a practice is just feeling the good results from it. Yep. So if you can start small, you know. If you're really bad, start with 10 minutes without your phone. And whenever you get home at night, start with then maybe 30 minutes. Then the next night, try an hour. And just give yourself a couple of days like that. Give yourself a week like that. And just notice like, okay, how do I feel? Am I thinking, am I sleeping better? Is my mind more clear? Can I think more deeply? You know, um, am I happier? Do I, is my attention better? All these type of things. And you will inevitably feel the positive results and once you start to feel the positive results, you'll simply come become less interested in technology. You know, that's that's how I feel with it is yeah. you know, I have gone through periods of just being deeply immersed and obsessed with social media and things like that. And I finally I hit this point where I was just like, you know what, this is ridiculous. Like I feel like this low level resting anxiety from just trying to answer all these messages or notifications and all these i joked about like i have more notifications than an air traffic controller you know like just uh, okay and so once i just thought all right i'm just done with this for a while i'm just gonna take a, a deep break i really felt that anxiety fall away and it got and whenever i went back to it it was just not interesting i just didn't care about it as much and i thought you know I'll, I'll dip in here and there and Man, I love this point you brought up because we're really going back to this theme in our conversation, I feel like, of how do we get to our unique truth as quickly as possible and without any bullshit, without any extra time or extra words. And in your experience, it was taking that fast from tech that allowed you to just release the tension and the anxiety. You talked about this actually on Twitter with gratitude being a tool. And I love this, man. Gratitude Mm. anchors our insights to our honesty. It's easy to get carried away with the enthusiasm that finding a breadcrumb of wisdom can bring. It turns the insight into a thing to wear instead of a quality to embody. Finding appreciation each day, large or small, helps us stay grounded, honest, and clear intentioned. We'll link that in the show notes because it's so powerful. And I'm thinking about people that might become you know, more enlightened. They do yoga. They maybe do a tech fast. For me, it was when I was a personal trainer and I would shine light on other people so the dark parts of myself could stay dark. Yeah. When I really discovered the line of the work that helped me, it was talking about my truth 24-7. Why did you post that on Twitter? I mean, what was going on with you then? You know, the things that I, I write typically aren't autobiographical in that moment, but they're things that will come to mind through conversations with other people, you know, and or things I'll observe with other people. I'll put them into words, you know, out there because again, you know, working with my meditation course, I realized that these things that we're dealing with, you know, everyone thinks that they're personal issues. And whenever I had like hundreds and hundreds of people emailing me these questions or these things they're struggling with, I took a step back and I saw, you know what, these are all the same questions, essentially, you know, they're all this, these combinations and variations on these themes. 
and I made me realize that like these are human issues. These yeah. aren't just personal issues, and we're all facing the same things. We're all facing the challenge of being human. And so, if someone does struggle with this, you know, don't beat yourself up over it. It's just something that we all deal with. Yeah. It's a matter of taking charge in making a decision to change that aspect of your life. You have a lot of tools that empower people to really look at this honesty piece. You are a musician as well, and you're a podcast host. You do a lot, man, but I'm curious what fascinates you most about binaural beats. That's something that Aubrey and I talked about on our episode together. What got you into that in the first place? Was it this search for the truth? My music journey was parallel with my internal journey, you know, from the time I was uh, really young. And they always informed each other. The music I composed from you know the time I was in my late teens until now was always dealing with elements of philosophy, of manipulating consciousness, not in the sense of uh, a negative way, but how could I change consciousness with music? Um, and doing just all different types of research and experimentation to see what effects that could have on an individual. Because, you know, like most of us, whenever you're, especially when you're young, you know, whenever you're <laughs> you're 13 years old, man. A song is going to dictate how you feel. Totally. You just, you, totally. You, know, you, can, yeah. you throw on. That's why oh, in the yeah. club, you know, they're not listening to like lounge music. They're, they're yeah. listening to like bangers totally. because that gets people fired up and it's a, it feels good. It makes you feel open like you want to have a good time. Drake is popular for a reason. Exactly. Exactly, man. And like in the gym, you know, people are you listen to high tempo music because it gets you it gets you hyped. And Whenever we want to calm down, we want to feel relaxed, we listen to something mellow and it makes us feel relaxed. So sound affects us and makes us feel certain ways. And the interesting thing about sound as an art is that, you know, with painting, with film, with writing, that all exists outside of yourself as this other thing that you can look at and take in. But what's interesting to me and which has been interesting to me for some time about music is that it's literally touching you. You know, the sound waves are moving through the air and literally touching your ears. It's hitting your body. So it's one form of art that's actually like literally reach. It's like if a painting reached out and grabbed you, it's actually touching you. And so I thought, you know, if, if sound is actually touching you, that means that with the right architecture of sound waves and understanding of how it affects human the human body, yep. you could actually dial in and create that change that I'm talking about that like a hip hop track or something chill will make you feel it's like i just need to figure out whatever the the reduction sauce of that is and then be able to control it so i did a lot of experimentation and research with binaural beats like 15 years ago and uh they always fascinated me you know there's a lot of trash out there well i'm afraid that there's a lot of w ones that i find uh, ineffective uh -huh. uh, but then also uh, there are some that I, I did see results from and so you know, I studied those and I played around with them. And then, um, you know, years, a decade later, plus or whatever, uh, Aubrey and I were talking one day and he brought them up. And, you know, my my music discipline and, and abilities had uh, increased exponentially, you know, over that that long period since I'd really been deep into binaural beats. And he said, do you think you could make some, some good ones? I was like, yeah, definitely. So, you know, I went back deep into that and uh, pulled out a lot of, actually still had some of the old research I'd done. And just used everything I know about music, about you know psychology, physiology, all those things yep. to create these these beats that have a deep, deep effect. This is brain entrainment audio technology, which again, we're going to link all of your music in our show notes because I'm super stoked to try this out. I've tried binaural beats for the past four years. Some of them, like you were saying, I've felt relaxed and calm. 
Um, never done it in a float tank, <laughs> by mm. the way. I think that'd be really fun. But yeah, technology definitely. is not our foe. I love technology if we use it with mindfulness. And I have a second show in the industry of fitness, the Fitness Plus Technology Show. We talk about this kind of stuff there. But on Wellness Force, Corey, we are very aware that the addictive properties are there. And I think today you've done such a radical job of giving us some pragmatic strategies we can actually do. You know, that technology fast. And um, which, by the way, I'm definitely doing this when the show comes out. So make sure to check social media on that. I look at this intersection of how people can use these tools, one of them being meditation. Tell us about the meditation course. When did you launch this and why now? I mean, why did you put this out? The meditation course is called Release Into Now. It's a six-week online meditation course. Essentially, you know, I had just on my own personal journey, you know, I learned all these things about meditation. I think that there's no one way to do anything in life. And so, as I was teaching myself about it, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, I learned as many uh, different schools of thought on it that I could. And I just experimented with every aspect of those things. And I took what worked best for me out of all of that. And um, I also had my own self-discoveries, like things and techniques and, and kind of uh, insights that came to me. So I had applied all of that together in this approach of meditation. And, you know, a decade or so later, I was speaking with people who were emailing me, you know, about my podcast or, or on the podcast and all these different things about meditation. I thought, you know, I should probably, I should probably share all this stuff because it works for me so well. Yeah. Um, why not share that perspective with other people? Uh, I guess if I, you know, it would die with me if I didn't, I might as well share it around. So I created this course and it's a real um, practical guide to meditation. Uh, I feel like, you know, I don't know if you're uh the uh, the rating is on your podcast, but uh, it's uh, someone called me recently in my bio bio of me a bullshit destroyer, mm. and so uh, you know there is definitely like no BS in in the course. <laughs> yeah. I any you know kind of woo stuff that can be uh, in in meditation. Thank you. I, yeah. yeah, I feel like that is a, a delusion away from truth. I feel like it's a way to get further away from the goal of uh, you know awakening to the self. And finding out who you are and acknowledging reality and then growing. I feel like it's a, you know, a, a really slippery diversion on the path that people often, you know, more times than not will, will become subject to. So I remove all of that. I talk about those things. I address those things. And I just lay out everything from a, uh, a real practical guide to getting started. And then I move into things like, you know, heart opening, third eye, uh, you know, mantras, um, releasing negative emotions, visualizations to drop uh, negative traumas, those things. And I even, you know, cover things like astral world because, you know, people start meditating. There's no modern context really for these type of things because they're qualities that awaken in that type of experience. But whenever there's no frame or context for those, for people to understand them, that's whenever the possibility for self-delusion is so high mm. because no one addresses what that is in a reasonable and open-minded way. So I get people emailing me, or I used to, before I really started hammering the point home, <laughs> is uh, like people would email me being like, hey man, 
you know, like I think I asked to project it and like, what do you think about that? I live in North County, Encinitas. So we have Uh a lot of people that I believe speak in spiritual babble. And I think it turns others off from the healing, the empowerment, the radical life on fire that they possibly could have because the right words aren't used. You use the right words. I mean, I'm looking at this here. It's practical steps. And it was actually noted by Dan, is it Daniel? Daniele Bellelli. The History on Fire and Drunken Taoist says, Corey teaches us that spirituality is not an esoteric concept. It's about waking up in order to taste life to the fullest. And I mm-hmm. so connect with that because we use words all day long. It's so important to be mindful of the words that we use. And this is the last part of the show, Corey. This is seven quick questions. Are you ready? Sure. Hit me. What's the hardest part about cultivating a meditation practice for most people? What's one thing they can do to just begin? The hardest thing is usually uh, consistency for people. That's the, the most common thing. They say, I want to do it, but I can't find the time or I can't stick to a, a practice. I tell people, you know, do what you can. And like with anything, once you start doing it a little, you'll feel some results and you'll want to do it more. It's not a chore. It's actually a, a bonus. It's a pleasant thing to get to do it. And if you are have a really busy life, start with just five minutes. Five minutes, and if you're you're too busy for five minutes, start for one minute. Just sit down, put your phone away, sit on the couch. You don't have to get you know any crazy double lotus locked in posture or anything like that. <laughs> Just sit on the couch, put your you know because you think about it, really ultimately all of this is in your mind. You know um, the the structure of the body can just assist in some of those things sometimes. But put your phone away, close your eyes, rest your hands on your leg, on your legs, and just. You know, start set a timer if you if you have to for five minutes, so you're not worried about how long it's been, and just relax. Just relax. Start focusing on your breath. Don't try and change it. Don't try and take deeper, shallow breaths. Let it be what it is. But just point your awareness towards it. Mm. Just observe how your, you know, your chest expands when you inhale and how your chest contracts when you exhale, and just sit there and just and it, you know you'll definitely feel fidgety because you're used to fidgeting with stuff all the time, but that'll pass. And just try that for five minutes. And then if you can do that you know, the next day for another five minutes and the next day for another five minutes and maybe you forget, then you can do it a couple of days later whenever you remember again. And you'll slowly start feeling the benefits of that. And that's a great way to just get your foot in the door. Man, that's so practical. And what's helped me a lot is the Muse meditation headband. I've used that for almost three years now. Your group is called Release Into Now. It's on Facebook. And the course is Release Into Now. What's been one of the most powerful books you've ever read that's allowed you to see that brilliance inside you? What's cultivated that for you? Do you have any Mm. authors that you love? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, uh, you know, Alan Watts is great. Choking Trungpa is fantastic. You know, the book that I think addresses uh, as far as authentic, you know, I don't even like the term spirituality, but why not? Well, man, because it's a word like God or, or okay. like love or something like that, that it's so relative and, and personal that whenever we talk about it to each other, we're essentially just making mouth sounds a lot of times and assuming <laughs> that what we mean the other person understands and then we're just both carrying on the conversation, you know, accepting that they understand our interpretation and vice versa. Anyway, you know, this book is, is great for understanding a lot of these deeper things about, you know, the internal path and uh, not having any, any BS or self delusion around it. It's called cutting through spiritual materialism by Chogyam Trungpa. That's a fantastic book. I'd, I'd recommend for anybody. 
Sounds fantastic too. I like, love the title. What, what's a <laughs> yeah. deleterious habit that you've let go of on your journey? You know, you've been growing your consciousness, building your emotional intelligence. Have you had a habit in your life that you've let go of? How'd you do it? One of the habits that I let go of that was really helpful was feeling like I needed to interject my personality into everything. You know, whenever I was in my early twenties and, and you know mid twenties, I. You, you get into conversations, you hang up people and you're just always like waiting for your moment to talk. You're always waiting to, you know, name your preference on something, to chime in, to, to add to, to something. And that is like, it's creating, you know, in some ways a separation, you know, it's, it's like always having to do that and learning to just take a pause, put a little bit more space and patience in conversation. You don't always have to fit everything into the shape of your ego, hmm. stepping back and in living and speaking with purpose and intention as opposed to just an automation. Man, that applies to my life. That has been my lesson. <laughs> I've enjoyed this mm -hmm. conversation so much, man. We have two more questions. One of them is this spiritual sickness that I think we touched on a little bit. There is this sickness in the world right now, especially when it's driven by Instagram. This value of how we look has become higher then how we contribute and how we serve other people with our unique gifts. What's something that you're doing right now personally to strive to be the change of this narrative? I try and keep things that I put in social media as um, valuable as possible. I try and I make sure that each thing that I'll post has real substance, has an audited thought behind it and has true value. Um, never would I, would I put anything out there that I, I'm just doing it just to do it or that I haven't thought through, or that I've found any type of shortcoming in. Um, so I make sure the the value and um, integrity in everything that I post is high and is clear. Because I feel like that's the only real way that we will cause um, change or actually provide any assistance for someone who might see that. Man, this has been such an enjoyable time for me. And my last question for you is around wellness. This is Wellness Force Radio. We know that we're half beast, we're half spirit. The brain's a meat radio, as you reminded us. <laughs> yeah. What do you feel and believe wellness means to you now at this point in your life? What is wellness to you? Yeah, man, I think wellness is, is understanding yourself, being honest with yourself, and then having the commitment to always wanting to be in a constant state of change and growth. So recognizing what you're doing, you know, whenever you see things about yourself that you understand could be better, could be changed, changing those things, acknowledging and addressing them. You know, that's one of the, in Buddhism anyway, that's one of the, the aspects of suffering that's often ironically ignored is ignoring. You know, there's so many things in our life that we know our problems, that we know our bad behaviors, that we know we're, you know, we're guiding a negative intention, but we choose to sort of ignore it and act like it doesn't exist. And um, I think a huge value is being able to acknowledge yourself, acknowledge your action, and continue to choose to self-betterment through truth, through self-assessment, a belief and desire to continue to grow and be the best that you can be. You know, because we can all sit back and visualize, like, who is the, the ideal Josh? Like, who is the guy that I wish that, like, I know, like, how could I get there? What's the best way my life could work out? Who's the best person I could be? And then just like, okay, well, what's the first step towards that? 
You know, like, what am I doing that's going to help that? And just start taking those steps. Man, I feel like you're speaking directly to me and thousands and thousands of other people on how we can really just get truth in our mind and our heart and reverse engineer the soul. So thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Your website is Corey-Allen.com. Such a joy to connect with you about something that gets to be out there in the world right now. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Josh. Hey, my friend, thank you for hanging out and growing with me on today's show. Remember to hit subscribe, share this podcast with somebody you care about that you think gets to hear this message. Support the show by leaving a five-star review for the podcast right now, simply by tapping on your show artwork on your iPhone. Click that purple link that says review this podcast. It helps the show reach more conscious and smart people like you, and your voice will attract more world-class guests that want to come on the show. So let them hear your voice. For all the downloads, videos, links, and free resources mentioned on the episode, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash radio. And while you're at my house on the web, join us in the Wellness Force community newsletter on that page and I'll send you four free guides around staying healthy with your eating, moving, and sleeping while you travel. Join a group of people like you over at the Wellness Force community Facebook page. This is where we talk about the things that really matter. We share our wins, inspirations, struggles, and a lot more. So join us, tap on the show artwork on your phone and hit that purple link that says join the Facebook group and I will welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and create impact for the people that you care about. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.